Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. I'm your host, Albert Hardy. Last week and the week before that, we were talking about the pre-trib rapture and why I don't buy into that idea. And, of course, I've got some feedback because 90%, I believe, of all the so-called Christians in the world believe in this. But I just can't, can't see it. I can't believe in it. I got a response from a gentleman, as I mentioned last week. Now I've got his rebuttal to my response, which I, I sent him a 14-page response. And I'd like to go over that with you just to make sure that uh, if you have a problem with what I'm saying, would you please straighten me out? Just send me an email to jesusisy at gmail.com. I promise you I will not send you an email unless you send me one. And even then, I've got nothing to sell. This isn't about making money. This is about helping you and all my audience grow in faith. So I wrote him this treatise on the pre-trib rapture on the 29th of May, and here's what I said. Apparently, the first public acknowledgement of this idea of imminent rapture, the snatching away of Christians, and then the earth being nuked by God's wrath, began about 1788 with an essay by Morgan Edwards. In 1811, Manuel Lacunza added some to this and wrote an essay on the subject as well. And then in 1827, John Nelson Darby wrote or published his book, his Bible, the Darby Bible, which further popularized it. Then in the 1890s through 1909, C.I. Schofield published his reference Bible with a diatribe about the rapture in his footnotes, and it became really popular. Why? Well, because it's more palatable than not believing it. I mean, who doesn't want to escape all the troubles of this world? I mean, I do. I'd love to. That'd be great. But that's not what Jesus actually promised. In 1995, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins published the first book in the Left Behind series, and you may have heard me talking about this some other in some other podcasts, but I traveled to Orlando to speak with Jerry in person. And when I got my chance, I asked him, did you base these books on the Bible or is it based on mere fiction? He said, it's fiction. The idea was Tim LaHaye's, but Jerry was the with writer, which means he's, you know, you see on the, the jacket, uh, Tim LaHaye with Jerry Jenkins. Well, Jerry is the guy that fleshes out the idea. The idea was Tim LaHaye's. But it's not biblical. It's fiction. <clears throat> but I was grateful that he was honest and forthright, you know, in telling me about it. He didn't pretend it was biblical. So, just from a cursory look... 
uh, among Christians and the the history of Christianity, we can easily see that the the real answer is this is a late phenomenon within the last couple hundred years, two thousand years compared to two hundred years. You know, for eighteen hundred years, there was no rapture idea taught. The apostles didn't teach it. Not even the Apostle Paul. He did not teach that. We have been uh, fed a lot of baloney. And baloney is not good for us. Now, here's some scriptures on it. I chose to go straight to Jesus and his words. John 17 and chapter 14. This is his prayer just before his crucifixion. He was on the way to Golgotha at this point, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, if I'm correct. He says in verse 14, I have given you, or them, I'm sorry, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. What? Yeah, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Unquote. I wrote him back and I said, in saying that, Jesus corroborates the history of ancient believers like Noah and Abraham and Lot and Moses. God did not remove them from their circumstances. He didn't siphon them off. He didn't create a rapture to rapture them out of there. No, 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 no. They still had to go through their trials. But he delivered them through their trials and kept them from the evil one who wanted to destroy them. So they had to endure to the end through their gathering storms. So it is with Daniel and the lion's den and his three friends in the great furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What about uh, Jonah and the whale? God did not deliver him out of the trial, but through the trial. And so it is with us. Jesus never promised any of uh, uh, them and or us a rose garden full of flowers and birds and butterflies to enjoy and fruit on every tree and luscious, nourishing, satisfying food to eat. No, there is no cushy country club for Christians. Wishful thinking does not become a true follower of Jesus. Instead, listen to what he says in Matthew 24, 9 through 13. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. Christians hating one another? Hmm. 
and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Unquote. We are to occupy until he comes and endure to the end. For example, let's go to Matthew twenty four twenty nine. After the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give its light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to this podcast know that I've talked about this before. Well, what in the world could cause the sun to be darkened? And we're not talking a local little area like Iraq. No, no. It's the sun will be darkened. And that means worldwide. As you can find just by uh, searching in a concordance for the word darkened or darkness. And the moon will not give its light. Well, if the whole earth is blanketed by some cloud cover that's black enough to blot out the sun, it's sure going to blot out the moon. So Jesus' words ring true, always. But what about these stars that fall from heaven? What is he talking about there? Let's face it, folks, we live in an internet age. What makes that work? What makes that happen? Well, it's satellites that are stationed all around the globe, and they're positioned precisely in space with retro rockets that adjust the altitude, the um, attitude of the, uh, the satellite itself, and makes course corrections to keep them from hitting someone else's satellite. These things cost millions of dollars apiece. Estimates are that there are at least 20,000 of those things out there in space. Now, some of them aren't working anymore, where there's about 8,000 that are working to keep the Internet alive. But the rest is just space junk. Every once in a while, you'll see a quote-unquote meteorite fall to the ground. I believe a lot of those are old satellites that they just guide toward the ground. Where they hit, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows. So if these stars are really satellites and they fall from heaven, what happens to the Internet? Well, that's the end of it. That's the real true end of it. And then what about this last uh, saying here, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What are the powers of the heavens? Well, the heavens are the skies. The clouds are in heaven, that particular heaven. In the Bible, talks about three separate, excuse me, separate heavens, 
The throne where God lives is one. Where the stars are is two. And the third heaven is the atmosphere where we have our clouds. The powers of the heavens are immediate concern. In other words, for these powers of the heavens is our weather. Well, what happens if the sun is blocked out? Well, it can't evaporate seawater. It can't produce oxygen anymore. Can you imagine a world where the oxygen diminishes a little bit every day? It's going to become harder and harder to breathe for each and every person left alive. Now, I'd say that qualifies as a shaken syndrome. In other words, it's disrupted, definitely disrupted. And so with the weather. If it can't evaporate seawater, it can't produce rain. If it can't rain, guess what happens to our drinking water? It goes away. And what about our eating crops? Goes away. That's scary stuff. It's black outside. It's hot outside. Uncomfortably hot. Well, I would think so at 140 degrees, which is what I estimate. It could be hotter than that. 140? Well, that's enough to cause spontaneous combustion. My house is made out of wood. It's going to burn. And what's going to happen to the polar ice caps? If we have daytime temps in in the 140-degree range, so much for Antarctica and the Arctic. Those ice caps are going to melt. And then what happens to all of that ice that is above sea level now? Well, when it melts, it's going to make the sea levels rise, and some of the islands of the world will submerge. That's just a grim reality. But if you understand Matthew twenty four twenty nine and compare it to every other prophecy, they all fit that verse. So it is absolutely essential and pivotal because it is the one verse that all the other scriptures relate to and center around. But if you want to have some fun, go ask your pastor, what does this verse mean, Matthew twenty four twenty nine. He'll open his Bible, and he'll read it, and he'll say, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I've had that happen. There are very few, if any, pastors who will commit themselves to what it means. Well, I just told you what it means. The sun will be blackened by the smoke that will come out of the bottomless pit that's going to happen when... World War III erupts in Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Oman, Yemen, the United Arab Emirates, and possibly other places like Turkmenistan and Afghanistan and such. That's where there's a lot of oil. It's not all the oil. 
There's a lot in Texas. There's a lot in Pennsylvania. There, there's oil all under the earth. As I've said before, it's because it's not buried dinosaurs. It's not fossil. You know, we get our oil sometimes around 30,000 feet down. No animal or plant was ever buried that far down. You know, that's four miles or maybe a little more. Four miles down? No. No, nothing got buried down there. It's made by the earth itself. The earth has a methane core. That methane is hot. It's on fire. It, it's, it's under tremendous fire. In other words, thousands of degrees, thousands of degrees, maybe tens of thousands of degrees hot. And it's trying to work its way to the surface to relieve the pressure which is bearing down on it at all times and in all directions. So as it's working its way up through the cracks in the crust of the earth, it picks up, when it reaches a body of water that might happen to be near the surface, but still buried, it'll pick up a hydrogen atom. When it does that, you've got methohydro. And when it passes through vegetation, or possibly coal or something like that, guess what? You get carbon. So you got carbon and hydrogen and uh, methane. What does that spell? It spells hydrocarbons. That's oil. When it cools off, as it reaches the surface, it turns into a new compound, and we call it oil. From oil, we can get plastics, we can get fuel, we can get kerosene, we can get all sorts of chemicals out of that. All sorts of chemicals, including pharmaceutical chemicals. So the whole world runs on that oil. Now, with a bomb going off here and there, and it could be nuclear. It probably will be. There's uh, lots of oil fields and oil wells. If you remember the Gulf War, those oil fires that Saddam and his henchmen set fire to with sticks of dynamite, blowing them up, blowing the caps off, blowing the valves off of those, it set them on fire. Huge billows of smoke blackened the air. I live in Florida. I remember seeing a, gla- a, a, a graying, a brownish gray film covering the sun in Florida, a half a world away from those fires. And those were little 12-inch, 16-inch wells tiny by comparison to what a bomb would do. You know, some of those oil um, wells are, you know, drilled, but they're under pressure. In Iraq, they're under pressure. And some of them are even on top of the ground without any interference at all from man. They've been there for thousands of years like that. The oil keeps 
spouting up out of the ground on its own. It's an artesian well, only instead of water, it's oil. Now, maybe some pastors are afraid to talk about prophecy, and there's a good reason for that. They might lose their 501c3. What if somebody gets offended in the congregation? See, they're scared to death. They're going to lose that. If they lose that, they've lost their ministry. They've lost their congregation. Scary stuff for them. But we who are not really pastors can talk openly about it. Now, before you write me off as a quack who's lost his senses, verify what I am saying by studying your Bible. You know, if the oil is on top of the ground already, it wouldn't take much at all for a bomb to set off that oil pool or oil lake And there's no bottom to it because it goes all the way to the center of the earth. Whoa. Which means that it has an endless fuel supply. And it's going to burn and burn and burn and burn and burn. And it'll get so hot that the sand around it will melt and drop into the great abyss. And there are several of these abysses that are going to form. Can you imagine hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them? Probably there will be in Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and all those places I already mentioned. The after effects is the problem. You know, we're pretty far away from it. We're a half a world away. And it won't do any good to go to South America or South Africa or Australia or New Zealand, or Madagascar, or any other place on earth. But I believe the Bible indicates that there will be a few survivors, because Jesus said, For the elect's sake, those days shall be cut short. But I fully believe that this war will cause these fires and these huge billows of smoke that go around and around as the world turns and blankets the whole atmosphere with a black cloud. It's going to be very destructive. That's a combination of destructive and disruptive. It's going to be bad. These fires will burn so hot and emit so much smoke that no one will survive unless they are shortened by the coming of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. He owns the planet. Did you know that? He built the planet. He owns it. He knows all about it, way more than any scientist could. That is for sure. Can you create a blade of grass that's alive? How about a human? (laughs) You can't do that. How could nothing produce it? No, there is a God, and he made it. He created it. So the heat itself from these fires will turn the surrounding sand into molten glass, which will cause each of those fires to grow bigger by the day because it's falling in all around it. 
Oh, man, we are going to be in such trouble in those days. We're not quite there yet, folks, but it's heading that way. Let's face it, the oil is buried, if it's buried at all, just a few feet down. And I'm talking less than 25 feet, maybe maybe 100 feet in some areas. In Genesis 14.10, listen to this. As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into the tar pits while the others escaped to the mountains. This was a quote from the NLT, the New Living Translation, which I find very good. Well, these tar pits are still there today. They haven't gone anywhere. Every once in a while, a sandstorm will kick enough sand over the top of them, which it'll float to the surface, forming a type of uh, quicksand. But people who are galloping away in haste, trying to get away from murderers, don't know that it's not terra firma. And they plunge right in, and that's what happened to these kings. That's Genesis 14.10. These tar pits are nothing more than oil. Oil. It's, it's now lost its hydrogen atom because of evaporation, because it was so close to the surface, and it thickens up as it does that and becomes tar or asphalt. That's what this is talking about, in my view. This Valley of the Dead Sea is also called the Valley of Sidom or Siddim in other translations. Let's keep in mind the oil there is under pressure and need not even be pumped. But instead, it must be contained and surveilled, watched over, protected continuously. And you might be asking yourself, well, what does that have to do with a pre-trib rapture? Well, it has everything to do with the rapture because of the timing. Notice verse 21, chapter 24 of Matthew, on through uh, verse uh, 20, well, 22 for right now. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and will never be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the elect's sake, they will be. If it is unequaled, what greater tribulation could there be? Obviously, Jesus was talking about the great tribulation. But so far, he has not even mentioned a rapture. All the way down to verse 22. So surely you can agree that Jesus got the timing right. All three gospel writers that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mentioned this and talked about it, and they all got the order right. See Mark 13, 24 through 27, and Luke 21, 25 through 28. Jesus does not mention the quote-unquote gathering of his chosen ones until verses 30 and 31. And here's what the way that reads. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man. This is way after the tribulation. You see, Jesus is coming back in wrath. 
That's why his uh, robe will be stained with blood. It's not his own blood. It's their blood. It's his enemies. He's going to kill all of them. 200 million of them, perhaps? Yep. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He's the only one visible because it's so dark out. And now this bright shining, as bright as lightning, light is headed toward the people, and they're scared. I can imagine I can only imagine. And the power he's talking about is the power to bring God's wrath down on the armies of the world. It is not going to be a pretty scene, folks. Not going to be pretty. Now get this, verse 31. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven or one end of the heavens, that is, the sky, to the other. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. I hope you study Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. Test me. See if I'm right about this. If you believe in a pre-trib rapture, stop watching the silly movies and stop reading those silly books that don't have anything to do with the Bible. They're fiction, folks. Let's get a grip. Until next time, you can go to my website, itellwhy.com, or jesusiswhy.com. Get you to the same place. I have nothing to sell, no advertising, and I don't want your email or any of that. Now, if you want to ask a question, or you want to volunteer something, fine, send me an email. It's on the website, itellwhy.com. But I will never send you an email. I'm not trying to get your money. I don't want your money. I want to tell the truth. That's what I'm all about, and that's what I'm trying to do here, building faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next time. I'm Elbert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio.